Welcome. This is Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. How about this? A little bit something different for the Bleacher Blums crowd out there. I hope that this comes through loud and clear on video. Maybe this will be our first attempt at going on live and giving you a good shot in our faces, giving you a good shot of the situation that we are living in and the situation we are broadcasting from. But with all the downtime due to this coronavirus, we have had the opportunity to work with a network and work with some great people who encouraged us and actually gave us a way to get on uh, some video. Uh, granted, it was probably not as hard as David Tullin, I would make it out to be, but I know with my lack of technological skills, it was a miracle we even got a podcast on air. And since we've gotten that podcast on air, it has been fantastic. We have enjoyed every interactive moment with everybody who is listening and watching right now. We uh, are doing very well. We get plenty of mailbag questions, which we're going to get to later on. Uh, you can reach out to us at bleacherblums.com. You can also get to myself, Jeff Blum, at Blummer27, both on Instagram and on Twitter. But uh, it has been interesting. I host the show with a good friend of mine of, man, let's just go ahead and say maybe 10 years. We'll just give it a decade that we've known each other. And we have done very good together. We've had a blast together being right here on Bleacher Blums. My co-host out on the left coast out there in California is David Tuttle. Blummer, hey, buddy. How's the, uh, how's the quarantine treating you all out in Texas? I think it's a little more extreme out here in California. We have some uh, reactionary folks, um, you know, quite a liberal state that we live in. But, uh, you know, we're all trying to stay at home and flatten the curve and do all the things that most of our listeners are doing as well. So uh, great to be with you. And yeah, let's give this video thing a shot. We always said we had a face for radio and here we are on, <laughs> on video. So we're going to see how it goes. Yeah, we just really wanted to prove that point. But give us an idea, because you're right. You know, I think Houston or Texas or maybe even southern states that are used to the hurricane season and preparing in that way, we usually have a strong stockpile of water or maybe canned goods in the garage or on a shelf somewhere that we feel like we can get through a couple of days without being able to get to the supermarket. But things are a little bit different here in Texas as far as we can get to the supermarket. They've still kept all the essential stores open, which have been great. And I've told you about all of the people around Houston. All the stores have done a very good job of keeping their shelves stocked. I even went into Costco about maybe seven or eight days ago and picked up toilet paper and paper towels. So we are well stocked. Everybody's doing a fantastic job. But right here and right now, it's interesting to hear you say that about the panic in California because here in Texas, I don't feel like we have that kind of panic going on. Maybe it's going to take a little while to set in. Hopefully it doesn't at all. And like you said, we flatten this thing out, take the spin rate out of the coronavirus and get back to some normal lives. But it's also kind of funny knowing that we're videoing this right now and you get even almost an even better sense of what social distancing is because right now you're in a little box, I'm in a little box and we're doing this on camera. But give us a better idea of what's going on out there in California. Yeah, you know, I think we're doing the same type of thing that you're talking about. I mean, we're doing, uh, 
you know, social distancing. I was kind of, I was on the phone with my mom yesterday. We were joking that everybody was out in front of their own house kind of about five o'clock. So, you know, one kid on his bike with training wheels and his parents in the driveway and my kids rollerblading or biking around the cul-de-sac and, you know, the whole thing, but everybody kind of like, Hey, stay 10 feet away. I do have a funny story because um, thankfully this neighbor does not listen to the podcast, but we have a neighbor who <laughs> is always uh, dope. That's right. A very hands-on parent. She would know who she is. So if she listens, that's great. But uh, we haven't seen them in about four or five days. And uh, they came out yesterday and there's a basketball hoop at the end of the cul-de-sac and her son and daughter just started shooting baskets. And one of the other neighbor kids cruised on over like, hey guys, how's it going? They ran. No, they ran into their garage and like dove behind the car. And the mom was standing there and she goes, <laughs> she goes, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, I talked to them about this, but yeah, we're just, we're just keeping our distance kiddos. Like we're just gonna, you know, but I mean, it was like that they, it was, I swear to God, it was like that this kid came out with a hand grenade, pulled the pin and put it right down next to him. They ran like nobody's business. And I thought, <laughs> all right, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a little extreme. I mean, we are keeping our distance, but I mean, nobody in the cul-de-sac, as far as I know, has really been out anywhere except, as you said, Costco and the grocery store. And I think that initial panic is uh, is definitely gone. I mean, we have plenty of toilet paper, plenty of food. Um, so as you mentioned last time versus a hurricane, I mean, this isn't kind of a stockpiling issue. This is much more of a like when's it going to end issue. And I think as we touched on one time prior, there's, there's some, there's some, the unknown always creates some sort of kind of panic and uncertainty with any of us, including us, even though we seem to be pretty even keel and pretty, uh, pretty mellow. Yeah, we try to be pretty mellow. I know that I'm usually the one that's a little more reactionary. And of course, there's been multiple times throughout the co course of our podcast, maybe about five or six ago, where I said the earth is caving in, the sky is falling, and Tuttle was like, no, nah, man, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. But now we're heading into that, that area where there are unknowns. And I think that is part of the problem and why it's creating so much, uh, uh, you know, maybe unnecessary panic because people don't know how to react to the situation because there, there is not enough information, I don't think, now. Um, it's kind of interesting to watch some of the press conferences. And again, I don't want to get political, but all we have is the information that's put in front of us by the media. And sometimes that can be good. Sometimes it can be bad. Sometimes it can be panic worthy. Sometimes it can be uh, you know, over overstated. But uh, to the fact that where you're going to pull your kids off the street and run for the hills when some other person comes out of their house is a little bit extreme. But uh, hopefully we're moving forward from that. And I know you've probably got a little bit more on that. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that I think when we talked about the panic, uh, I, this is a little, I guess, a little bit of a side story. But my mom, uh, who's 76 years old, has a friend who is eh, probably close to the same age, 72, 73, 74. He was diagnosed uh, this last week with the coronavirus. Uh, my mom last saw him like 17 days ago. He's oh, wow. 70, like I said, 72 or 73. His symptoms, yeah. he had like a mild sore throat and a cough and something like that, but he's totally healthy. So I think, you know, all of this news, as you pointed out, is around, you know, flattening the curve and, and spreading the virus. But, you know, our own personal experiences are ultimately um, what are going to kind of shape our, our viewpoint of this. And, and I think we realize, you know, obviously in Italy, things went awry and, and Korea got a handle on their stuff really quickly. Germany. I mean, they, they just battened down the hatches and they got that kind of that ship righted almost immediately. But, you know, it'll be really interesting to see if, um, 
if we're able to kind of get a hold of this, because it doesn't seem to be if you're young and healthy, they don't know all the comorbidities. I listened to a physician talk about um, knowing the denominator, right? It's one thing to say we lost 600 people, but what's the denominator? Are they all over a certain age or do we need to isolate the entire population or should we isolate, uh, isolate these at-risk people? And as you said, we're not doctors and we certainly don't want to be political on here. But I think um, what we kind of touched on earlier, fear of the unknown is what's kind of driving all this. And none of us know as much as we'd like to know right now. And for me personally, I mean, I love that we have time to do the podcast. I love that our topics are still there. But I think for me, like having a plan, would it would certainly help to have like an end date, right? So that, yeah. that, that's where I'm at. No, I'm with you on that. And you really hope that the more information that does come down, they're able to put something on that because we're going to talk a little bit later, or if not, if we don't hear it in the uh, mailbag that we have coming up, but there has been some information and some, uh, some talks between the union and the commissioner, Rob Manfred, about possible dates and possibly looking forward to actually playing some baseball. So I think that's kind of promising. But before we get going into some of the nitty gritty and some of the topics that I've chosen and some of the topics that I know you're looking forward to getting after, uh, why don't we just go ahead and jump into the mailbag right now? Let's do it. Um, I did want to give a shout out to Marlon and the Shakes who uh, did our intro music. They're working on doing some uh, some voiceovers. Marlon and the Shakes is a, a good friend of the show and a good friend of mine and a really excellent band out of the Chicago area. So if you get a chance, you can get on iTunes and or Spotify or anywhere else you get this podcast, anywhere else you get music, you can download their music. So into the mailbag, Amaris, it looks like Amaris says... I love it. Here's the title of this, Blummer. You'll appreciate this. No question, just a compliment. So we're going to speed through this. I might go a little oh. slower, <laughs> a little slower than I normally would, right? Because this <laughs> is a compliment. So um, I know you're laughing. Uh, hey, guys, I love the podcast. Discovered it while on maternity leave back in September and haven't missed an episode since. I've learned so much about baseball from y'all over the last few months. I feel like I can actually talk shop with my husband. Thanks for making the podcast both entertaining and educational. Thanks for the extra episodes during this time of self-quarantining. We need all the at-home entertainment we can get. P.S. Once all this is past us, Tuttle needs to come to Houston so y'all can do a live podcast at St. Arnold's. Well, it's on, it's on the calendar, or it was on the calendar, and now it's been, uh, it's been put on hold just like everything else. But certainly uh, that's on, that's the, uh, I guess that's the plan ultimately moving forward. Yeah, hopefully this is a step in the right direction. Also, actually, people putting their eyes on you while we do this podcast and hopefully get it out uh, on a YouTube channel, if not more. But uh, thank you for that. That's what the mailbag is actually for, is so that you can mail all the compliments you want. Go to bleacherblums.com, go to the mailbag, and tell us how much you love us. That really encourages us to do a better job. But I'm kidding. Uh, we love talking baseball. And if we can give you an opportunity to maybe look at things in a little bit different angle, and maybe give you some hopeful conversation points. Let's go for it. That's what it's all about. Now, it said she listened while she was on maternity leave. If she had listened while she was pregnant, it would have been interesting to see what the name of the kid was based on uh, her <laughs> listening entertainment. So, um, I like it. So Ruben E., uh, he's been into the podcast before. Um, let's see. Is this a question? Yeah. Uh, Ruben says, thank you for the podcast. I really enjoy listening to all the stories and in-depth MLB conversations. My question is for Jeff, what is a day like for you as a broadcaster at home versus on the road? And how does it affect your family life? Thank you again. And I look forward to future podcasts. Now, 
Lumber, before I pass it to you, I want to mm -hmm. remind everyone a couple podcasts back when we talked about your group text, which cracked me up because that's the first thing I think of when you go on the road is you guys have the family text, like who's emptying the dishwasher and who's got to do this. And you're at, you're either at the game or you're at the hotel, like 3000 miles away. It's unbelievable. Yeah. The group texting that we talked about, there's obviously a family chat so that we can all keep in contact. Everybody gets the right information. So we make sure the kids are doing their chores or that they need help with something. They can go ahead and get a hold of us. But there, ha there ha there's definitely a tendency when I'm on the road where it gets a little out of control and I wish they would road group family chat and a home family family chat where I could actually be effective. But during the course of the season, man, there'll be moments where I'll be, man, I could be on the way, you know, West Coast is usually the worst because towards the end of the day, no, I, you know what? Yeah, the West Coast is pretty bad, but, uh, you know, because I'm so far behind, everybody is, you know, texting, getting all the information they want. There's actually been moments where my wife has FaceTimed me and I will be in the broadcast booth and I'll be talking, watching the game like I'm doing right now. And I'll hold, I'll just turn it on, mute my phone and hold the phone up and be like, just keep talking, looking at her going, hey, babe, you know, working hard here. <laughs> and she just kind of gets a chuckle in her face and uh, hangs up on me and we eventually get back to it. But it's funny when I do go on the road because they don't pay attention to the schedule, which I don't expect them to. But at the same time, I am working. So there is the assumption that I might be doing something if I don't respond to that text immediately. But when I'm at home, uh, the schedule is a little bit different because my kids go to school really early in the morning uh, during the school year or used to. And I would wake up early, you know, make breakfast, hang out with them, talk shop, see how their day went the day before and then get them off to school. And then I'd go either work out or go back and take a nap, which is more often than not. Uh, and then I'd go to the ball game later on about two, three o'clock uh, when we're playing at Minute Maid Park. On the road, it's completely different. My schedule backs up a little bit. I can sleep in and enjoy myself, go to the hotel gym, work out, and then come back to the room, either record a podcast or study a little bit for that game's uh, broadcast that night. And then I'll hop on the last bus possible, which is usually around 4 o'clock, and I'll head to the ballpark around 4 o'clock, watch BP, and then call a game. Nice. Well, there you go. I hope that answers Ruben's question. I know we got a... Uh... We got plenty more to get to, and uh, we could probably dive into that more if you ever get the season underway. Uh, ben, Ben T says, hey, Blummer and Tuttle, love the podcast, especially Tuttle's stories of grinding it out in the minors and the realities of life as a ball player. I'd love to hear a discussion about what it's like to work in a baseball front office or as an agent. My grandfather taught me to love baseball, but I wasn't blessed with any athleticism. So I went to law school and would really like to work in baseball one day. Any advice, tips, honest opinions are appreciated. Thanks, guys. You Shoot, you're the one that uh, actually played for a while, talk about grinding, and then you went and uh, worked in an agent uh, at an agency. I didn't have a chance to do that. The only, you know, the only thing I can kind of get near is being in the front office just because I have access to all those guys who come in the booth or they are on the field and I get to talk to them and talking to coaches. But that's probably the extent of what I know about the front office. I know it's a little bit different. There's a lot of meetings and a lot of guys putting their, not necessarily their reputations on the line for players, but there's definitely a scrutiny put on guys in the front office for what they're able to scout and how they're able to evaluate players. That's probably the most pressure they're under. But uh, on the agent side, I'm gonna let you go ahead and run with this one and let us know what you went through when you first got out of the game. Yeah, so I, I think, and this is obviously geared towards what Ben is asking, but there's a lot of stuff involved there. And I think, um, 
you know, my dad used to say like, stay in your lane. I thought it was really interesting because I think there's plenty of room for the academics. We talked about um, guys, you know, Theo and guys like that coming from the Ivy League and getting involved in baseball and using algorithms and numbers to kind of drive some statistical analysis uh, around the game of baseball. Um, attorneys, uh, very similar. I mean, a lot of these attorneys do want to be agents and get involved in the game of baseball. The reason um, I got involved and the reason that I think um, everything is expanded is you kind of need you kind of need a voice from every corner. Um, you know, if you, if you went to law school to be a lawyer, then guess what those guys are good at? They're good at the law. They're good at understanding that maybe contracts, but maybe not so good at, um, you know, rubbing elbows with ball players and figuring out how to represent them and understanding it. And, and a lot of guys have utilized this. I know uh, some former scouts have gotten hired by some of the bigger agencies. Um, your agent actually was a former ball player who went to law school. And I think mm -hmm. that was a huge benefit to have that, and, and I, for me, and I think we touched on this before too, for me, it was more about um, staying around the game. I felt like I did have some insight into what goes on in the clubhouse, maybe some insight into what kind of, not just equipment, but what kind of contracts and what kind of things that the players were looking for. And I could be either a conduit or a go-between, even between the agent and the player. If they were saying, well, he's being unreasonable or this is what you know the expectation should be, then I could provide some value there. So I think... Um, to get back to Ben, he wants to work in baseball. Uh, I'm the parent that says, hey, if that's your goal, then figure out how to do it. You know, you look at those old books. I can't remember which sales book it is where some guy wanted to work with Thomas Edison. And he basically, that might be, um, oh gosh, what's that sales book? Anyway, I'll have to look it up. But somebody will, somebody on Twitter will shout it out at me. But uh, yeah. anyway, he wanted to work for Thomas Edison. He kept knocking on his door saying, hey, I'll work for you for free. I'll do this. I'll do that. And ultimately ended up working with Thomas Edison, who was at that time, like the greatest inventor and greatest mind, um, similar to somebody like Elon Musk today. So I think to answer Ben's question, if you really want to work in baseball and you're an attorney, try and rub elbows with the right people, you know, stay up on what's happening, you know, with free agency in the market. If you want to work in the front office, you know, talk to scouts, you know, meet as many people as you can and just kind of stay, stay involved and, and, uh, you know, and try and make it happen. I mean, I think, I think, uh, who had this, somebody sent out their resume to 32 teams. Did we see that? All 32 teams in one of them. Oh, it's, uh, it's the GM of the Astros. That's I was going to exactly say, it. I was just going to jump in and say it's James Click. We talked to yeah. him and he said as soon as he was out of school, he just he kept pumping uh, emails and resumes out there until he finally got somebody to uh, jump on it. Yep. And I think that would be the way to do it, to be honest with you. I mean, if you get any sort of hook on your line or any sort of fish on your line, then, you know, try and reel it in. And I think there's nothing wrong. I, I don't want to be the person that says, oh, there's no way to do it. There's always a way to do it. And, and James Click is the example I was thinking of. So thank you. No, I completely agree. There's a lot more avenues than you actually think. And granted, it is a little bit of a buddy system. But I mean, a lot of the guys that we're seeing in front offices now have actually majored in business and moved into the stock market type situation and did a very good job of crunching numbers and creating algorithms to find a way to find the best stocks, you know, so to speak. And all that translates into finding the best player. And that's how they've kind of rearranged the numbers and created an opportunity. But yeah, I'm with Tuttle. Don't give in. If it's something you truly want, you got to go after it, be able to develop and adapt to the situation and be a little more creative to get into the game. But I still think there's plenty of opportunity out there between scouting, coaching, uh, you know, agents and uh, getting into the front office somehow. Shoot, you know, there's, there's guys 
uh, what did Spolestra do down in Miami for the NBA, uh, you know, for the Miami uh, Heat? Yeah, down Miami there. Heat, he, yep. Yeah, he was a video coordinator that ended up being a, a head coach. So, I mean, you really can't say that there's not an opportunity. It's just a matter of how bad you want it. I totally agree. I second that, and that's kind of where we were going. So uh, good luck to you, Ben, and, you know, keep us updated. And, you know, maybe one of these days our, our paths will cross. I mean, I'm not – I'm no longer involved in baseball, uh, aside from the podcast, but I'll, I have, it, we talked about this before, how many ex roommates and teammates are still around yeah. the game and, you know, in managing and playing and scouting. And I mean, it's crazy. And, and I think that if that's something that you want, then, you know, just stick to it and see what happens. All right. So Matt, Matt S it looks like. Um, hey guys, I am a high school baseball coach in North Florida. I was listening to some older episodes today while I worked on my field. Usually cutting it, edging the infield, spraying for weeds brings me so much joy. But today leaving there was just depressing. The silence of the field was hard to stomach knowing that our season has been put on hold. I know my kids feel the same way, feeling as if something was stolen from them. Obviously it sucks because we're all in the same boat. What can you say to help motivate guys like that who feel like their season has been stolen from them? Thank you for keeping everybody occupied during this time off from baseball. Go Strohs. G-E-A-U-X Strohs. Oh, that's right. Louisiana. Louisiana, North Florida. (laughs) Man, I tell you what, that is a really good question. How do you stay motivated when you've had a season ripped away from you. And I'm not sure I understand actually how to do that because the situations that I've been in in baseball haven't had to deal with game t- gameplay taken away from me. I, granted, we've had to pause and hesitate in 2001 because of the 9-11 attacks. We stopped baseball for a week. We figured out everything was safe and then we got back on the field and it, all it did was push that week back onto the end of the season. So we just kind of pushed everything. And that was the same year that Derek Jeter became Mr. November because they played deep in, you know, deep into November in that World Series. But, man, I have not thought about that, to be honest with you, on how to motivate. Because it's so easy to motivate somebody when you know the opportunity is going to be to get on the field and make something happen. Now you're trying to find out how do you motivate somebody who was looking forward to a season and had that time taken away. I can only imagine what seniors are going through in high school. I can only imagine what juniors and seniors in college are going through right now, or maybe a JUCO guy that has been playing in junior college looking for an opportunity to prove himself to either be a draft and follow type guy or maybe move into a Division I program. And it's, it's frustrating, but I know that those guys, at least in the Division I, are going to be able to push back their eligibility till next year, which is a good thing. But the only way I can say, you know, only motivation I can think of is staying safe. And taking care of your body as much you can, as much as you can, while you're in isolation right now, so you can take advantage of the opportunity when the game is presented to us again. Because right now we've talked about it, and it will be talked about until we get a definitive date. Is the uncertainty is what is creating the fear and the lack of motivation? Yeah, I to- I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I want to. I guess we can personalize this a little bit. We talked about my buddy, uh, Kevin Jarvis, I think former teammate of yours or certainly a former uh, Padre. You must have crossed paths with him, but his son Bryce is uh, through a perfect game at Duke this year. I mean, somebody like that, they were just saying how it's cutting, you know, cutting short, maybe probably the best, you know, junior year 
you know, that he could possibly yeah. have. And as you said, he'll get, he'll get drafted and good things will happen. And, you know, his career will continue to go on. And I know they're able to redshirt, but man, when, when something's going on like that and, you know, you're riding high, I mean, it just, yeah, it's a punch to the gut. Like he said, it, it was hard to stomach knowing that the season's been put on hold. And I think that goes for a lot of people, but similar to what you just said, I, I, just to answer the question, I mean, you, 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 the first and foremost, you have to stay safe. I mean, this is a game. We love it to death. It's, uh, you know, something that you cover for a living and something that, uh, you know, obviously is the foundation of our podcast. But all of that stuff takes a backseat to, you know, living a healthy and happy life. And I think ultimately that's what's most important here. And so I think we just got to, Matt, we just have to keep that in perspective that everybody's losing their season. And boy, how good will it feel? if and when we get back on on that baseball field i can smell the grass and the grass stains and the you know i mean there's just so much uh so much to look forward to so it's kind of like if you're riding high all the time then you know you don't know what it, what it's like to feel low but when you have something taken away from you and and we all know this right we, it, we appreciate it so much more and so let's hope that uh mr positivity over here on the on the left <laughs> coast can uh, carry you through which is let's uh Let's let's think about when this thing ends and how great it's going to feel. Yeah, I actually just showed uh, that movie to my kids yesterday, Shawshank Redemption. Hope is a good thing, Red. That's right. One of my favorite. I mean, that that might be. Uh, I mean, one of my. Yeah, no, it's top. Five. That might be the. Yeah, but it might be my favorite movie of all time. So there you yeah. go. Um. All right, and here we'll finish with a simple one, and then we can get away from the mailbag. Uh, Kathleen H. She's written in before for sure. Um, she just asked a couple of simple questions. She said, what are some of the things you miss about playing and some of the things you don't miss about playing? That's it. Uh, I, I'll take this first. Great. Uh, some of the stuff I don't miss about playing is all the politicking and clubhouse lawyering that goes on trying to manipulate uh, attitudes can be a little frustrating at times. And the thing, but that's really the only, only thing really, because essentially I loved playing the game and I loved every team I was on. There were a couple personalities throughout the course of my career that were a little interesting trying to deal with, but you know, that aside, the one thing I do miss, and I've actually had a chance to narrow this down now that I've been able to sit in the booth kind of, and it's literally, I mean, you know, it's literally because I sit back so far that it's really given me an opportunity to sit back and watch the entire game, watch the entire field and remember what it was like and try and understand that that used to be me on the field. That's probably the most fun that I get is watching how good these guys are and how, how they play this game and how hard they play. And remembering that I had that opportunity to go out there and do that and enjoy it every minute of it. So when people ask me, what do I miss most about the game? I'm obviously gonna miss the guys in the clubhouse, but I get to hang around Jeff Bagwell. So that brings back a lot of great memories. I'm still in contact with a lot of ex-players uh, and ex-teammates that I, I've enjoyed over the years. But the one thing that I do truly miss is standing in the box in front of about 40,000 people. I miss making a play, just a routine play at third base and realizing that all the eyes are on me. And I know that sounds a little weird and a little selfish, but I really enjoyed the, the idea of the competition with the pitcher as I stood in the box and nothing else was going on. That was the sole focus, was that matchup at that moment. And I enjoyed being that guy and everybody kind of sitting in anticipation waiting to see what was going to happen. I miss that greatly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you hear a lot of athletes say this and I'm, I'm glad you had a, a slightly different answer. I mean, most guys talk about the brotherhood and the camaraderie and, 
you know, especially working your way up through the minor leagues. I mean, we've already mentioned that I've, I was on three championship teams in the minor leagues. And there is something, as you can attest to, being a World Series champion, about those teams that are special. Like, man, you kind of you kind of reach the top of the mountain, whatever that mountain was. Maybe it's a World Series championship or maybe it's just a Texas League championship. But you reach the top of the mountain with these guys. And that feeling is, you know, second to none. I mean, you cannot you cannot duplicate that feeling. I have not found the ability to duplicate that feeling. You all know how I feel about CrossFit and how fun that is for me and, you know, trying to compete and stay strong and healthy, but nothing is, uh, nothing is comparative to that. And so I'm glad you actually had the kind of the isolated moment or the isolated thought about what you missed, because that's, that's something that I miss as well. Like standing on the mound, not even in front of all the people, but just kind of being in control of the game and having that, you know, that ultimate competitor's attitude, which is like, look, I, I, I'm a good sport. Um, I can show sportsmanship after, but man, if I can figure out how to get this guy out and, uh, you know, and win the game for my team, it's great. Um, and then I'll end with, with what I don't miss, which is, you know, from my perspective, yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was a lot of the politics and a lot of the other things that are involved. I think I remember, um, well, I definitely remember this, but uh, I, we had a, a pitching coach come into uh, an A-ball locker room. He ended up being a big league pitching coach and he had a fungo bat. And I, I've talked about this a little bit with you before. You know, somehow every game that gets over eight, nine, ten runs deserves some sort of like, you know, are you guys going to man up and like do something about that? Like, you know, so we're a bunch of like 18 to 21 year old kids in a clubhouse and he takes this wood fungo and destroys a table with it, destroys the fungo, the table, like, ah, you know, like, and you're shaking your head because you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I could describe yeah. this for the listeners. I mean, it is very impactful, but very, um, being a college guy getting into the minor leagues, like, when I say it's impactful, like you're trying to like duck and cover from splinters flying and stuff. And then you go like, <laughs> what a, what a clown, right? Like if you're really a professional, like this isn't the way anybody would behave in the workplace. And I don't, I don't miss that. There was always kind of folks, and this might be what you were talking about from the machismo standpoint. There were some guys that knew how to handle themselves as a professional and, you know, foundationally, like this is what it takes. This is the hard work. This is how I'm going to grind through it. And then there was always kind of those one or two guys that were like, you know, they just couldn't control their emotions or rage, whether it be a coach or a player. And you looked at them like, you know, I mean, come on. So all that to say what the other guy said, we're just really looking forward to get back on the field. Um, I do miss playing some days. Um, and, uh, but there's not, there's not a lot I miss. Um, I'm sorry. There's not, there are not many things that I don't miss if that makes sense. Like I could name like 90% of the stuff and go, Oh yeah, I miss that. Ooh, I like being around the guys. Ooh, I like the smell of the grass. I love shagging and batting practice. You know, mm -hmm. I liked hitting fungos to the infielders. I like all that stuff. There were a few little things that I don't, you know, that I don't miss, but I would trade it. I would trade it all in and, you know, do it all over. So believe that, believe it. That's it for the mailbag. That's it for the mailbag. Awesome stuff. No, great job on your part, Tuttle, going through all that. We always appreciate everybody who gets in on the mailbag. And just know that we are paying attention to that. We are trying to get to those as many as we can. 
uh, especially during these times because uh, people's minds have a tendency to wander when they're sitting in their home and got their work done relatively quickly. And if the, your mind starts to wander and you want to get a question or you want to make a comment, make sure you get to bleacherblums.com and click on that mailbag and let us know what you're thinking. And you can also get a hat like Tuttle has on there. We've got a couple of swag items that uh, you can look forward to getting out there. But we'll try and get into a couple of topics right now. Just some notes that I've been kind of taking over the week. And I know some things have transpired here in the last 24 hours between Major League Baseball and uh, the commissioner's office as far as trying to give fans something to look forward to this season. And what's interesting to me is it does sound like they are trying to get the season underway. They are trying to give uh, at least – entertain the opportunity of playing 140 to 162 games, which in my opinion would be pretty darn impressive if they were able to pull that off. I'm not sure 162 games is something we really need to look to and aim for. I think it's just a matter of getting as many games in as you possibly can. The, I think the magic number would be 100 plus games right now. If you can get 100 plus games in, then I believe management would feel comfortable paying out salaries. I feel like management would be comfortable giving guys a full year of service. And I think players would really entertain the fact of, of going out there and playing double headers. That would also probably mean that they would expand rosters to 28 to 30 guys so that they can com compensate for some of the extra games that are going to be played. And I haven't heard anything on the minor league side if they're going to go ahead and play those minor league seasons. That's probably a bigger issue for a lot more guys in baseball. But unfortunately, what a lot of people in America are concerned about are the actual Major League Baseball games that uh, have a possibility of being played. But there's also some things that have to go into effect in, to even think about getting on the field. So uh, according to ESPN.com, as a part of the agreement, players in Major League Baseball primarily agreed to the 2020 season that it will not start until each of the following stipulations are met. And this is probably the most important things. All three of these things have to be met before they will get on the field or even uh, tr attempt to play a 2020 season. And a lot of it has to do with the government too. So it's going to be interesting how these things are handled. One, there are no bans on mass gatherings that would limit the ability to play in front of fans. However, the commissioner could still consider the use of appropriate substitute neutral sites where economically feasible. And I'll kind of go one by one through these, and I want to hear your opinion on this. And if you, if you listen to that a little bit differently, Tuttle, because the way I read this is, is it still leaves an opening for the possibility of playing games in an empty stadium. I think that's a real opportunity because I think you and I both agree that if people are going to be stuck at home, self-quarantined and on lockdown for this amount of time, if they do get to the point where they can find out players are healthy, staff are healthy, and you can actually put a game on, so to speak, I think that they would like to put a game on and broadcast it because people are going to be home and eyes are going to be on baseball. And again, about the healing process, about the restoring the normality of our lives, even though it may not be normal more moving forward, at least we can give people the game. And I think that might be one of the priorities out there. Now, that being said, I think some of the issues are in places like New York, California, where some of these hotspots, Washington, even Seattle's having some issues with the coronavirus up there and how it's affecting the community. Now, would that mean that some of these neutral sites where they would move would it mean that they move all 30 teams into the city of Arizona and say, okay, we're going to find a way and play around these stadiums in Arizona? Or are we going to move a couple of teams to 
uh, Jupiter and West Palm, where there's two stadiums, you can put six or seven teams, six or eight teams in there and try and find a way to play some round robin baseball. But you've got to be able to put everybody in there to complete a schedule. So that's where I think a lot of the logistical issues come in. But I want to know your thoughts about what I just read as far as how they're going to be able to figure out how to just get the game on. Let's not let's worry about getting the fans into the stadium a little bit later, but let's think about a little bit more about actually playing the game. And what were your thoughts on that on that first proposal? And what 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 ideas do you have, Tuttle? Yeah, so a, a couple of things there. I mean, I thought the empty stadium thing was great. I, I think there's nothing wrong with doing that. I, I I think because the TV rights would be available at that point. And now you're going to be able to create some revenue. They were talking about missing the gate, you know, obviously the, the concessions in the gate, right? But if you're able to get the TV rights in, you're able to pay the players and you're able to kind of get that, that money ball rolling because this is what it all taught, you know, this is what it all comes down to. Uh, you just mentioned the spring training sites. I saw the neutral sites. They were talking about pushing the regular season into late October, even November. So some chilly games um, possibly. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with the double headers. We played a lot of double headers in the minor leagues, yeah. you know, any rain out, you played it all the time, especially if you expand the rosters. So you're going to have a couple extra pitchers there, a couple extra guys like me that'll pop into the big leagues and be like, all right, we can't wait for that dude to come in the game. I'm going to pinch hit against him later on. No. Um, but to your point, I think just to kind of get that, um, get the machine started, would be nice, as you said, the caveat is if those restrictions are lifted, if the small gathering thing is, uh, if, you know, I guess if we flatten the curve enough to have those gatherings and get that started. But it did pique my interest when you said, let's have some sites. If we could get, let's say you got like three sites in Arizona and three in Florida, and you basically put, you know, 16 teams in each, you could have a game or a double header every single day. Wouldn't it be cool to, uh, to have like, all right, you guys have the 10 a.m. game. I mean, it doesn't really matter. You have the 10 a.m. game today. Then you have a, a 1 p.m. game. You know, they could do three games, 10, 2, and 6. And I think that would be killer to have like three games a day in these sites, especially if there are no fans allowed, which you were saying, at least initially, and you have the TV crew already there. You really only have to set up one site, and you basically bust the teams in. They play. They'll play hard. They'll play well. I mean, I think that would be really cool, especially if you as an announcer or broadcaster, you know, you only cover the Astros. So one day you got the 10 a.m. game, the next night you got the 6 p.m. game, but you're busing over with the team, doing the broadcast, and then you're able to hang out and kind of um, be that voice for your team that we've always talked about the playoffs are missing, right? So it's not like it would be some random broadcaster doing all three games or four games. They would have you guys in. So I think that that neutral site thing would be kind of cool. And I don't, I don't think it would affect the players a lot. Obviously it would affect the fans and maybe some of the logistics, but you know, we're in this unknown world. I mean, we could throw out any idea, but I, I kind of like a couple of neutral sites, maybe three or four in each, you know, warm weather area, Arizona, Florida, and, uh, and kind of starting early in the morning for baseball players, like 10 a.m. and running it all the way through the night. Hey, dude, I think you may have cracked the code. <laughs> and we are going to market this as Baseball Palooza. Oh, nice. That's I all like we're that. going to do. It's just going to be a great big baseball festival back in the day, like uh, Coachella or something like that. <laughs> we could just yeah. have the rotating stage. And instead of bands on the stage, you're going to have teams just rotating in and out of these stadiums playing games. 
I think that would be outstanding. And it's something I mean, they've got to think I'm with you in the sense that I think you were trying to say they've got to be creative with what they're going to try and do. You still want to respect the game. You still want to respect the integrity of it. But at some point, you have to be a little more creative and maybe push the envelope a little bit and be creative about it because you're right. It's going to push into November for playoffs, if not later. And I think that's where some of these neutral sites with domes, retractable roofs, where you just say, okay, the World Series is going to be a seven-game series, or do it like the World Baseball Classic, where you bring in the teams into L.A. or San Diego, and you say, okay, the weather's perfect no matter what uh, day of the year it is. We're going to have five teams. You two are playing the first round these days. You guys are playing that night in the same round in the American League, National League. And then once the World Series starts, guess what? You've got a seven-game series right here. We're not going anywhere. We're in a stable environment, and we're going to play this thing out, which I think is very interesting to think about. What about the doubleheader going back to the minor league days, man? Seven inning games. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I know the pitchers, especially starting pitchers, solid starting oh. pitchers, love that. I remember in college, my sophomore CGs. year. That's right. In college, my they kept changing. So we used to play four nine-inning games. And then I remember uh, they changed it. We played a nine-inning game on Friday, a doubleheader with two sevens on Saturday, and then a nine-inning on Sunday. And then, then we did nine, seven, nine. I mean, nobody cares about all these numbers. But basically, they changed our kind of schedule every year. But I, I remember in the minor leagues, we had two seven-inning game doubleheaders. I threw a CG, man, like seven innings. You're like, yep, just go out there and give me seven. And those big yeah. guys like Verlander and Cole and guys like cool. that, they would – they would appreciate a seven inning game. And from a managerial standpoint, go out and give me four or five and you're done. I mean, that's it. Four innings well, and the whole bullpen comes in for, to get right? nine outs. Or, or you, or you uh, make it to where you're, you'd line up your rotation to where, ooh, if I could have Verlander and Greinke go back to back in the double header day on seven inning games, because you know Verlander, like you just said, is going to want to bust out seven innings and shut it down and go, hey, Complete game, you know, yeah. uh, no runs given up. It's going to be outstanding. And then Granky shows up and gives you six, seven strong again. Yeah. And your bullpen, meanwhile, is back here going, yeah. good job, boys. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> that, hey, it would foster some good, uh, some good brotherhood in that bullpen and then in the uh, entire clubhouse. The other thing I want to say about that with those games, uh, seven inning games, I, I, the point you brought up before about, and I don't know what the point of contention is, if this is owners or anybody else like, 162 right for that and then it used to be a 150 game season I don't know if 100 is the line of demarcation I don't know how they determine that I think we've talked about the playoff series I, I like all playoff series to go seven games mm -hmm. um, you know five obviously at the minimum which we've seen in the division round but that one game playoff in baseball has been really challenging because you know baseball is a game kind of a war of attrition you know if you play 162 games to have one game determine that season um, or the outcome, whether you get to go to the playoffs or not, is a really difficult thing, in my opinion, because it is such a, you know, there are so many things that can happen, so many variables, and you kind of want the statistics to have some time to work themselves out. Do you know yeah. anything about, like, why, you know, like, what that number would have to be? I mean, I think 110 games, I don't see any reason why they couldn't just play 100 or 110 games and decide, hey, if you're 70 and 30, you're probably one of the better teams. Yeah, and I think they're just trying to get, like you said, they're trying to increase that sample size. So 100 games, you know, is two-thirds of a season, maybe, if you know, 120 games, uh, that would be outstanding and give them a big enough sample size to be able to get these guys innings, get them number of at-bats. And again, you know, to qualify for a batting title is, I think, three point, you know, 3.1 or 3 point, just say three at-bats per game. 
So your guys would still get three to 400 at bats. They wouldn't get into that 500, 600 at bat range, which is okay. And it would save their legs a little bit and make the playoffs that more, much more fun. But you know, Rob Manford has actually been a guy who's entertained the idea of altering the playoff plan. Maybe this is a part of it. You shorten the season, but you expand the playoffs and give, get three wild cards in there and allow a number one seed to have a uh, buy uh, round in, this, in the playoff series. So, you know, who's to say that isn't incorporated in it? And you have maybe a, a wild card, A and B play one game to play in the wild card series, which is a best two out of three or three out of five. And then all of a sudden you're increasing more games and giving fan bases more to cheer about. So we got a little long-winded on that first uh, condition that it needs to be met. Oh, the there's second more? One, <laughs> yeah, right? Well, these should be a little bit easier. I, I mean, the, okay. you know, that first one left it kind of open-ended to some of the creativity that I think as far as games and ideas like that. So it gave us a chance to opine a little bit about what we think might be able to be done. But this one's pretty simple. Uh, it has to be no travel restrictions throughout the United States and Canada makes sense a lot of these teams fly domestic charters wherever they go but at the same time there's nobody else on the plane other than team staff and the uh, airline carrier staff Uh, you know stewardesses stewards everybody the flight attendants and uh, the pilots and then the third one is medical experts determine that there would be no health risks for players staff or fans with the commissioners and union still able to revisit the idea of playing in empty stadiums. So we got a little ahead of ourselves and that's basically the one we were kind of chanting about as far as playing in empty stadiums, as long as it is healthy for the players and staff who are going to be available just to get the game played on the field. So that's BS. Why do they have that in there? They should just do it. No, I'm kidding. Like, I mean, I, I kind of thought when we were having the dialogue that that was understood, right? I mean, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to override. Why do you have to go- put that in there? It's kind of the idea. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to have to override the government or like go against some order where you can't have gatherings of more than 10 people and be like, all right, we're going to put 20 dudes on the field. Wait, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. All right. So those are the conditions that need to be met. And we talked about, and I think Tuttle's got some information on this as far as what was actually talked about yesterday and maybe finalized to a point. I think it's all written in pencil, but the idea that the owners and the commissioner and the players have come to an agreement as far as playing time, service time, uh, amount of pay that they're going to be able to get. I think there's $170 million being injected into a fund that will be spread throughout the major league rosters for these guys. And I think that might cover maybe 4 or 5% of the, of the cost of salaries throughout the course of the season. But that's just something to kind of hold them over until they actually get the season going. And once the season goes, the way I understand it is that they will prorate everybody's salary to a daily basis, almost like a per diem. So each game, a player will get paid a certain amount. And obviously, the more games they play, the more they're going to get paid, and it'll count to uh, service time. So the interesting thing to me was is that even if the season is not played, they're going to get that $170 million dispersed between all the players, and they're going to get a full round of service time which affects some key free agents heading into 2022, which is going to affect a very good team out there on the left coast in the Dodgers who just traded for Mookie Betts, which I find incredibly interesting that ownership actually agreed to that. But uh, Tuttle, give me a little more insight into some of the stuff that you have heard or rebut or tell me I'm wrong in some of the things I'm assuming. 
No, no, no. That's, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with it's all written in pencil. Saw the $170 million injected into a fund. The, uh, the key was the service time. We talk about super twos and then threes, yeah. fours, and fives. You already kind of, I mean, you didn't steal my thunder at all, but uh, that was one of the key pieces is that Mookie Betts, if he gets a full year of service time without playing a game, he's a full free agent next year. So he could have been traded to the Dodgers and not actually suit up or ever play a game in a Dodger uniform. I think that's what you were hinting at. But that was the, I mean, that, that would be amazing. That would certainly be unprecedented in this day and age to have a guy traded, especially for the quality pieces that he was traded for. And yeah. now, yeah, I mean, so basically, <laughs> the dot, I mean, who could have foreseen the uh, COVID-19? But I mean, he could actually, they've given up a, you know, a couple of talented prospects and some value. And Mookie Betts could actually just test the free agent market next year without playing a game, most likely, and where they're headed, depending on, as you said, all those caveats at the end of the last segment. Um, we will play some games this year. And if we play 100 games, obviously, he'll suit up. But it's certainly um, kind of uncharted territory. And Mookie Betts was the one that stood out to me. Yeah, it's crazy to me. And just some other key free agent names I heard that are out there. It's going to be Tyler Bauer. Oh, sorry, Trevor Bauer out there for the Cincinnati Reds, who has another year before he becomes a free agent. There's some key arbitration guys. And that's what Tuttle is talking about when he says, you know, super two guys, three year arbitration guys. Uh, and then you've got JT Real Muto is another guy, a catcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, who is going to become a free agent. Now, my question to you, because you've been on that agent side and understanding how they handle these situations, usually when you go out and negotiate a contract or you're going into an arbitration hearing, what are you doing? You're talking about past success. So if your season comes out, you know, if you have a bad 100 games or if you don't play a 2020 season and you show up into that, that arbitration table or you show up at the negotiating uh, phone call and you say, I want $35 million a year because two years ago I hit 35 home runs and we won the world series. I was the MVP, all these things that come into play. That's where I worry about guys like Mookie Betts, where there were question marks around him already, where this was going to be a big free agent year for him. Yep. How do you negotiate that? What's going yeah. to happen? Yeah. So you, you, I mean, that's a, a great, a great thought. And, and just to kind of pick up on that, when you say, Hey, you're 28 years old, two years ago and you hit 35 home runs. Now you're 30. You're going to be 31 before you get on the field again, as you said, if this whole year goes, right? That's what a lot of people don't talk 30, about too 31. is the players will lose that year. And in data yeah. analytics, I mean, that's, that's a year lost where you get a little bit older and you start to regress. Yeah. And the agent I work for, this is actually really interesting. They were a small agency. We did not have a lot of big league players, but it was two attorneys who um, would get hired out by other agents to run arbitration cases. So from my little experience in the agent world, like recruiting minor league guys and some fringe big league guys, we actually got, I personally got a lot of understanding about arbitration because we would do arbitration cases for other agents. So another agent that wasn't as well-versed would hire our agency to be a support or actually lead the arbitration. And those arbitrations are really interesting. I knew this from my agent too, but as you pointed out, I mean, there was a lot of thought and a lot of work that went into it, but ultimately it looked like these are the days you played. This is your average. These are the hits. These are your home runs. Whatever the whatever the markers were for you, like when holds became a, a thing. You know, mm -hmm. if you were a left-handed guy who had 30 holds, well, guess where you got paid? When they laid that thing out, the guy who had 32 holds was right above you, and the guy who had 27 or 28 holds was right below you. And guess what? That guy's getting paid this much. This guy's getting paid this much. And you're going to get paid this much. I mean, that was really how the argument went. It was a very um, 
sound and viable argument because here are the numbers they put up, here are the numbers that this guy below you put up, you're right in between. You're not gonna make more than this guy. I mean, it was a really, it was kind of, it was a lot of legwork and you know, you wanted to, the nuance came when you wanted to shape your client in the best light, right? So you would use these numbers, the team would come to you and say, oh, well, we're gonna use these numbers. Like, look, no stolen bases. It's like, well, he's not a base dealer, right? So you're, you're having these arguments um, and some of them are on the periphery or on the fringe, but it was a really straightforward thing. And I learned a lot doing the arbitration. I think you bring up all the key points, which are age, um, time of service. When did you actually put these numbers up? Um, obviously Fenway Park too, when you're looking at Chavez Ravine, Fenway Park, I mean, 35 home runs at Fenway Park, if you learn how to turn and burn, you know, a little fly yeah, ball to left field. Hitter. Yeah, a little fly ball to left, uh, to left field gets out of that yard. So, um, you know, there are a lot of factors to consider there. This isn't going to be as straightforward when it comes to money and negotiation. But I think the best players ultimately end up winning out. And we've talked about this through the, throughout the podcast is the um, kind of the way the game has shifted lately is that these guys get a little less money for a little more time if they sign early and all that. So if you're going to be one of the five like JT, JT Real Muto, I mean, unless he's trying to break the bank, I'm sure he's a Boris client without even asking you. But, you know, all these guys are. I mean, he's going to get paid, right? He's going to get paid regardless. Yeah, I think one that doesn't have to really worry about anything is JT Real Muto because he's a catcher and it's so thin these days at the catching position. So he's a commodity as it is when he moves in. But the year, you have no idea. The, the two things that really matter most, I think, to a player right now are service time and your actual age because, the, the, you know, the, that perfect pocket is that 27 to 32 range where you can really maximize your dollar and get those extended contracts. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they move forward. Those are just some of the stipulations that are out there. I don't think I want to belabor the point anymore. We've done a good job of expounding and giving some ideas and giving some opinion about that. But those are pretty much the basics of it. And again, these are not solidified, written in stone, brought down from Mount Sinai. These things are just talked about. They're preliminary agreements that I think everybody is in agreement on. There's going to be a lot of stuff, a lot of complicated issues moving forward as far as that, that is concerned. So I think I'm going to kind of leave the baseball uh, talk right there. I know I've got some other topics, but I think Tuttle and I are going to try and get back at each other here in a couple of days. So I'm going to put some of the ideas that I had on the back burner until the, the following podcast or uh, broadcast. Uh, that we do moving forward because that was some good stuff right there, some good insight and good conversation. But right now, all we can do now is get our hopes up and really hope that, you know, my buddy David Tuttle is prepared because it's for that favorite time of our, of our podcast is what'll Tuttle say. Blummer, I think this is only your favorite time of the podcast. It's my I love most, it. it's mo my most nerve wracking as they'll be able to see in my face. I'm frightened and scared as we go. <laughs> um, you know, it, it has been much more difficult for me to come up with viable and valuable topics to the people. So, uh, so please bear with me. Uh, my first topic that I want to bring up is a Dr. Peter Atia that I listened to. Um, you can follow him on Instagram. He does have a podcast. He's been really keeping everybody up to date on COVID-19 and the coronavirus. He's a Stanford and Johns Hopkins trained doctor. I think he's a longevity expert, talks about medications when we're not um, around COVID-19, um, health, fitness, wellness, that kind of stuff. Peter Atia, A-T-T-I-A. So um, I would follow him on Instagram because I will not be able to articulate what he said nearly as well as he can, but he's trying to kind of, um, I don't know, um, 
I guess, stem the panic or, you know, kind of, I don't know, instead of fanning the flames, just calm everybody down until we know uh, more information. And I, I touched on this at the outset when you and I were talking about being political or medical, you know, none of us are epidemiologists or, or uh, infectious disease docs, but he, he's the one that brought up that denominator thing. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, well, 600 people died in Italy yesterday. And it's like, well, I mean, and he's not trying to diminish the fact that they're losing their life, but he is on the hunt to learn more information and discover more. And I think we all have to be careful at a time like this, but I would also um, kind of recommend that everybody not just listen to him, but go out and kind of do your own research and figure out where we're headed on this. Because even with all the stuff we know and we don't know, the world is going to change coming out of this. The world's going to be a different place. I mean, we're Zooming this podcast and because you live in Houston, I live on the left coast. Uh, we typically use a, a Skype or a Zoom or something like that to do our podcast. But I, I think a lot of medical professionals are going to start using like telemedicine and telehealth. I also think, um, you know, working from home may be something that people are now figuring out they can do if they're going to be as productive. Yeah. Um, the one thing I have to fight against every day is like, if I just get up and roll down with my cup of coffee and my sweats and I start working at eight in the morning by like four in the afternoon, I'm like, Oh, you know, still in my sweats, you know, maybe on a cup of coffee. Number two, it's like, I got to get up, work out, shower. So I would encourage everybody to do that. So, um, and then th th I'm going to, I'm going to switch topics now. So that's my, that's my rant about everybody, you know, just kind of getting out there, doing some research. You know what, you know what else is great about this whole self-distancing for you during what will Tuttle say? less customer service interaction. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yes. Well, I, but I think that, but it ruins my, uh, my, um, my brainstorming and my ability to actually get topics, right? When I don't have customer yeah. service interaction. Yeah. I'm going to start rant, uh, ranting against uh, Amazon and you just brought it up. I, I ordered a puzzle. I told you about this murder mystery puzzle I ordered. They said it's a non-essential item and, you know, don't hold your breath. We're not going to send it till May 1st. And I'm like, so I do have a little rant there if I want. Um, but <laughs> Somehow I they find you. That's right. But, but I will switch gears and just say that uh, another thing that I saw on the internet, maybe it was on Twitter, um, everybody's favorite announcer, uh, especially as we've discovered on this podcast, Joe Buck, had a really funny uh, one minute, um, one minute uh, video that was on Twitter he, him announcing uh, he and his wife trying to put their kid down for a nap after a meal. And what it made me realize, we don't want to make this a Joe Buck, what'll Tuttle say segment is, you know, the guys that like Keith Jackson, when I was growing up um, and uh, Brent Musburger still has some calls, Al Michaels with like, you know, the miracle on ice. Um, do you believe in miracles? Like just hearing Joe Buck commentating on his wife, cause he's done the Super Bowl and the world series last year's, it was actually, it was really kind of um, refreshing. I mean, it was really kind of interesting. And it made me think about even that, what that emailer said today about, like, we're kind of at this weird crossroads of unknown and, you know, we don't know where things are going. And just the comfort I found in Joe Buck, like announcing his wife trying to put the kid down for a nap was weird and a little surreal. And I'm wondering if, uh, if you saw that and or if you, uh, if you can relate to that, are there any calls from your childhood or anything like that that you remember, aside from the ones that you personally lived? Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's so funny, or you know, or Joe Buck doing the like the Kirk Gibson home run. I mean, there's so many things that are just 
um, or Vin Scully or whomever else that are that are kind of refreshing and heartwarming when it comes to sports and they're all on hold right now. And I just found a lot of pleasure and a lot of enjoyment out of listening to Joe Buck announce his kid going down for a nap. So I may be weird. I may be unusual, but. Yeah. Cause you like Joe Buck. <laughs> That's <laughs> no, the only just... reason. <laughs> no, but uh, no, I, I've heard a couple of them. I didn't hear the one about him putting his kid down. Uh, you know, it, at this moment, we're all kind of going a little stir crazy and trying to you know, push the envelope of creativity. And it is kind of odd to hear a guy who is so programmed to do football, baseball, and all you get used to hear, hearing him say is the number of outs, the innings, or what quarter it is and what, uh, how many yards till the first down. And then all of a sudden you get him, you know, probably ranting on his wife, saying a couple of inappropriate things and having a good time. But it's, I think it's good to see some of these broadcasters take the uh, headset off, so to speak, and relax a little bit, be human. Because when we do get on air, we're a little more professional, buttoned up and standing upright. The tie is perfect and the microphone's in the right spot and you're saying all the appropriate things. Uh, but it's nice to have some fun and that you get an insight into maybe what we're doing a little bit on the side. Because, you know, we will break into some commentary at inopportune times to maybe rag on somebody or make fun of a situation. And it's good that he is able to do that. I've, I've explored the possibility of doing that because my idea would be to put a charge to me doing it for a minute video and then donating it to, you know, whatever, you know, healthcare provider or Red Cross or somebody that's trying to contribute to this situation. But again, I'm technologically challenged and I need to do a better job. He's probably got Fox Studios lining things up for him so he can do that. So a little bit lower uh, profile program here. But, uh, you know, no, I would be perfectly open to that. I, I would actually try to do that with the family yesterday during dinner as my wife was uh, cooking pork chops. Don't don't sell yourself short. You're a tremendous slouch, Blummer. I mean, what are you yes. talking about? Like, yeah, you do drugs, David. <laughs> the, uh, the the you know you just made me think of uh, TK. I'm wondering. I mean, TK can't be out there golfing. It'd be fun just to hear TK's voice. We got to get TK record the intro for this. That's what we need to do. We got to get him involved Ooh. somehow, just so I can hear his voice. Because although, idea. yeah, how about that? Like, use your resources, use your network. I mean, I'm, I'm an idiot. I, I'm just kind of. I mean. I'm just kind of spitballing here, but TK's a warm, soothing voice. And you don't have to sell me on the fact that you guys fool around during the broadcast because you are so gracious to me when you come into town, but I brought my daughters up there last time and you're a, you're a production guy and the, you know, all those guys there, you guys have a blast up there and, and you make it look easy, even though you're on live television and it's uh it's always uh, enjoyable to see how much fun you guys actually do have at work. No, I appreciate you saying that. We do have a lot of fun. I'm very, I'm very fortunate, and that's a part of what I'm missing about the game, too, is hanging around TK as often as I do, and obviously, Julia. We have a very good relationship, and we're fortunate that that actually comes through on camera and it comes through in, during our broadcast, so I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, and we're going to lead or throw it back to you for Blum and Blummer, so yeah. maybe you'll have some nice things to say about them. Do you have a topic for me today, Blummer? I actually do. And it's going to be a little more uplifting because I want to finish this podcast in a, in a joyful manner. And I'm going to throw some dad jokes at you. And I want you to be prepared either to laugh or not to laugh. And part of the problem is, is we are doing this by video. So my face may give away some of the uh, punchlines or how I feel about them. But I want you to dial it in Tuttle and everybody at home who is listening to this, hopefully on the loudspeakers throughout the course of their house because I am here for you and I'm here to offer some dad jokes to kind of lighten the mood here amidst 
some of the chaos, fear, panic that is going on out there. We are all going to be okay. We are all going to laugh again, if not in the moment. But I am all about the dad jokes if you've listened to my broadcasts. So here we go. Tuttle, what's the difference between a poorly dressed man on a tricycle and a well-dressed man on a bicycle? I don't, even if I know the answer, I don't think I should say, but uh, I do not know the answer to that one. Give it to me. The answer is a tire. Uh, <laughs> Stay with me. Gotcha. Stay with me. All right. Yep, gotcha. This is, this is one of my favorites. My kids love this one because they call me a dinosaur all the time. So what do you call a dinosaur fart? It's a blast from the past. <laughs> uh, that one's, n that's not, that's not my style. I was trying to think of like, you know, fartosaurus or something, but <laughs> I mean, I just, a blast from the past. Okay. Got it. There you go. Now I know where we're, now I know where we're headed. Yeah. Okay. So this will be the last one. I don't want to bore you with all of this. I just want to get a quick right. chuckle. I like it. And have a little bit of fun right here on Bleacher Blums. So a bear walks into a bar and says to the bartender, one whiskey and one Coke. The bartender asks, why the big paws? The bear says, I don't know. I was born with them. Yeah, I'm a bear. <laughs> I got it. I have a long pause. I got it. Yes, and hey, that's all we've got for Bleacher. Let me throw. Blum and Blummer. Give me one. Blum and Blummer. Uh, two guys walk into a bar, third guy ducks. Oh, yeah. Silence. <laughs> That's more of a brain teaser, right? One guy walks into the bar. Second guy walks into the bar. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, next guy. He's oh, got a duck under ducks, the bar, yeah. right? Smart dude. He's the smartest Sorry. guy in the group. <laughs> All right. So our is audience a... is like... Yes. Yeah. Good joke. So we... I actually like the last one the best, by the way. The bear one's good. I'll come up with some jokes for next time. I have yeah, one that can... I don't think I should say on air, especially when it's uh, Louisiana and Texas that I'm... Uh, Stereotyping is always fun, but you can do that in comedy. Anyways, that's going to do it for this episode of Bleacher Blums. We've had a blast. It's great that I'm able to put my eyes on David Tuttle, and I hope it's great for you to put your eyes on us also. This is going to be interesting for us moving forward. We're going to have an absolute blast like we have been on most Bleacher Blums podcasts. It's an interesting time, interesting situations, but we've got to be able to overcome, adapt, much like, uh, you know, uh, what was it, Heartbreak uh, Ridge with uh, uh, Clint, Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, you know, improvise, overcome, and adapt. I love that movie. If you're bored, watch it. It's great. It's entertaining. I'm not sure how some of those guys became Marines, but he turned them into fighters, and that's what it's all about. <laughs> We're all fighters. We are going to move forward. We are going to succeed. We are going to be fine, and we are eventually going to be able to be fans of the game of baseball again, but until then... We always like to take this moment in this podcast, and now you can look me in the eyes and understand how much we mean this when we say this. We appreciate all first responders in all military, and we have to expand it now in this time of need to the healthcare providers that are out there in the front lines fighting this virus and keeping people alive, keeping them healthy, and trying to figure out how to combat this situation. So we absolutely applaud everything you're doing, and I want to take it a next step. Uh, and go a little bit further to everybody that's working in a grocery store or a pharmacy or a liquor store out here in Texas where you've got to have your booze to get through this thing. We appreciate you opening up your doors, providing the services and the supplies that we absolutely need 
in this time of uncertainty. So kudos to you. We pray for you. We bless you and thank you for everything you're doing. And I'm actually going to take it another level because now you know this too total having three kids of your own. I've got four that are doing online schooling. So I'm going to include teachers in this. A shout out to all you teachers who are adapting on the fly and trying to make this happen and educate our kids in this time of need. We greatly appreciate you. All the best from Bleacher Blums. Tuttle, you got anything to add on to that? I could not possibly add anything onto that. I will say, because we're Zooming here, I want to I wanna express my sincerity as well, but I can leave you with a smile by saying that we Zoomed this podcast um, and I enjoy the recording. You were talking about online schooling. I watched my two fifth graders get on a Zoom call today with their teacher and like 22 or 25 other little kids. And all I could hear the teacher saying was like, somebody's not on mute. No, stop fooling around. Like it was like they were in the classroom directly. So again, shout out to all the first responders, healthcare providers, everybody out there on the front lines, grocery store, teachers, everything. I second that, but I did get a little chuckle out of the online schooling today. And until next time, Blummer. Yep. Until next time, we definitely finish this thing off for everybody. We want you to get after it, but most of all, we want you to believe it.